among us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. And I'd like to welcome everyone to a very special holiday episode of Monsters Among Us, sponsored by the thrilling new podcast, Blood Ties. But more on that in a little while. Before we get too far into this, I want to drop a warning to parents out there. One particular call may give away a holiday spoiler. You may not be ready to disclose. I'll give you a heads up before I play that call, but use your discretion. So to kick this thing off, we're going to start out on a cold December day in the Houston, Texas area. The following was submitted by Chris in the state of Texas. Hi, this is Chris in Houston. And I have a story about an encounter I had with shadow people while I was living in Sealy, Texas. It was the winter of 95, I believe it was December, and it was really windy outside. I was 17 years old and I smoked at the time. Yeah, I know, bad habit. But I had walked outside to go and have a cigarette. And I put this and I went to light up the cigarette. And when it's windy, you kind of lean down in order to light it so that the wind doesn't hit, doesn't blow out the flames from the lighter. And when I bent down to light the cigarette, I lit it up and I looked up and there was a shadow figure that charged me. Like it was really fast. As a matter of fact, it was so fast, I saw it, it was in my face. And as soon as I flinched and my eyes opened, it was gone. And I thought that that was a, that was a pretty strange experience, but, you know, I didn't put anything to it until about a couple of years later in the spring of 2000, excuse me, the spring of 1997. It was in the same house in Sealy, Texas, and I had started uh, cleaning buildings with my step-grandfather at the time in Houston. And we came back, and it was very late at night, and it was a full moon. And it was one of those really bright moons that kind of light up the outside like almost like it's daylight type right and uh we had a big tree in the backyard and i went to go get me a glass of water and i looked out the kitchen window and i looked at the big tree and as i looked i saw a shadow figure kind of creeping in front of the tree like almost like an old tiny burglar would be like sneaking across a building and it scared me and I grabbed my brother, and my brother saw the same thing too. And I remember 
because that night we both slept in my room upstairs with two baseball bats. And I think we slept in shifts as well because we didn't know what was going on. Well, flash forward a couple of years later, I joined the army and I didn't find out till about till after I had ETS and I got out and I was talking to my grandmother about it. And that's when my grandmother and my mom both told me that they had similar experiences in that house. Not so much with shadow people, but just hearing voices when nobody else was in the house and noises and smelling different smells like flowers when nobody had any flowers or candles on in the house at the time. It was just a strange experience, and it was a very old house in a very old town, which I always thought probably could, uh, probably led to that there was something there that happened maybe long ago or, or something, some type of vortex that was just there because the house had a big backyard, and behind the big backyard there was a barn house, a small one. And then there was just open field as far as the eye can see. So my guess is anything could have happened back then. Also, I had a bit of a question uh, that maybe you could answer after you take my calls. And by the way, I appreciate your skepticism. It it really kind of brings things to light when you look at it from an opposing viewpoint. And I respect that and can continue doing that. Um, My question is, is that could things like shadow people and hauntings could they be something other than disembodied spirits like maybe interdimensional beings that we're just coming across that just happen to just get in our frequency at the time because that's how i've always seen it well anyway i'm a huge fan of the show and i have lots more stories to tell you growing up in growing up in texas man I got some, but I'm going to save those for a different call. You can tell I'm a little bit nervous. My first time calling and uh, hope you enjoy my story. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Some of these shadow people stories are bone chilling. I've heard stories and even seen videos displaying the speed of these entities. So I know what it is you're talking about in regards to quickness. And there's something about these shadow people that I just don't understand. They're already a shadow. Why do they feel the need to creep around so much? It almost makes me wonder if it's not the humans that they're actually hiding from. And to lend my opinion on your question, Chris, I honestly don't know what these things are, assuming that they're real and not a figment of our imagination or some sort of trick of the light. I like the interdimensional theory, but another one that seems to resonate with me is the thought that these things were never human to begin with, making them the spirits of something inhuman, I suppose, if you can wrap your mind around that. Thanks again, Chris, for lending us these stories. I always love a good Shadow Man tale. Now our next entry on this holiday special involves a staple of the holiday season, toys. The following is Jessica's story from Parts Unknown. Hey Derek, my name's Jessica. I've been listening to your podcast for the last week, uh, totally binging on it. It's not a UFO sighting or a Bigfoot sighting, but it's super creepy. So a few years ago, I was going through my son's old toy box 
he was starting, he was about two and a half and he was uh, starting to grow out of some of the old toys that he used to play with. So I was going through it and stacking toys off to the side, taking the batteries out pretty cheap. So I was saving them for um, the new toys he was getting. And later on that night after I'd put him to bed, I was sitting in our house watching TV. Uh, Our house is pretty old uh, for this area anyways. It was built 65 years ago. I don't have any information on the people that owned it before me. But anyways, I'm sitting in the living room. It's a big, wide open concept house. And the toy box was in this little area behind the couch. So I'm sitting there watching Most Haunted, which is an old English paranormal show that I used to watch with my mom when I was a teenager. And from behind the couch, I hear a toy go off. And the toy says, plain as day, come play with me. Um, Which isn't something you want to hear late at night while you're watching a paranormal show. My son had a Elmo doll that it was a grow and play with me Elmo doll. And one of the sayings was, come play with me. However, I had taken the batteries out and it was stacked off to the side. So... There was no reason that it should have been going off. Super creepy. Needless to say, my son didn't get to play with that Elmo doll, and we got rid of it pretty quick. I think I probably dropped it off at a thrift store with a bunch of his old toys. So hopefully it was just a coincidence, and I didn't pass on something to somebody else. So yeah, hopefully you can use this story for something. And uh, thanks for all of your hard work. Thanks. Thank you, Jessica. I've heard a few of these stories over the years. Talking toys slash toys working without batteries. I'm not sure what to make of it. Is it possible for a small amount of power to be stored in the device itself? Making this a simple question of... Uh, mechanical or electronical engineering is enough power stored to allow this object to operate if not only momentarily otherwise I'm not sure how a spirit would a know that it can manipulate the toy b know how to actually make it work and c it seems to be the opposite of a ghost's mo usually they steal power not distribute it So maybe there's another phenomenon at play. Or perhaps Elmo simply had to have the last word. Thanks again, Jessica, for taking the time to share that story. Now our next entry takes us to my state of California. The following was submitted anonymously and is performed by the talented Warren Pawn Abbott. We were attending a Christmas party at a friend's house in Somis, which is very rural. About half of the party had a birthday party to go to later, and not to be rude, we decided to leave in shifts so all of us didn't suddenly get to get up to leave the party at the same time. My wife and I stayed the latest, leaving around 10pm. By the time we had left, it was extremely dark. Talking to my wife as I was driving, I saw some shape and some kind of movement out of my peripheral on my right. 
You know when you're hiking, how you will sometimes push aside a branch or a young tree? As you walk past it, you let go and the tree or branch swings back into place. The motion made me immediately think someone or something had moved aside some of the brush which had swung back into place as it passed by. I had looked over to the right past my wife where I had seen the shape of motion. Nothing there. No very tall brush for it to disappear into and it was not moving quickly enough to disappear into the trees. It was simply gone. I thought about telling my wife but since it was dark I figured she would think I was pulling her leg. I decided to wait until we got to the nearby town to tell her so she didn't think I was deliberately trying to scare her. Once we drove out of the hills and the fields pulling up to the first stoplight, I began to say, So I saw. She immediately interrupted me saying, I saw it too. She had seen a similar shape or motion, but to her it was more clearly some sort of grey man walking. When she looked over she saw nothing. We both chalked it up to the dark and our eyes. I am still 99% sure it was some kind of coincidence, but as soon as she said I saw it too, my blood ran cold. It still gives me shivers thinking back to that moment, even on a hot day. Thank you to both the caller and to Warren. Excellent work as always. I love that our witness got a little confirmation regarding his sighting. If his wife saw it as well, there's likely to be something there, and less likely for it to be something in his imagination. Thank you again for taking the time to share that story. Now before I share the back half of this collection, let's take a moment to learn about tonight's sponsor. Now I know a lot of you guys love true crime and crime drama almost as much as you do the paranormal, so this might be right down your alley. What would you do if you discovered your father had done the unspeakable? Would you hurt the ones you love to tell the world the truth? Or would you bury it and just live with the guilt? What Blood Ties is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery, starring Josh Gad and Gillian Jacobs as Michael and Eleanor Richland. After the sudden death of their billionaire father, disturbing allegations emerge about his dark past. These revelations thrust Eleanor and Michael into a fight they're completely unprepared for. As the stakes of telling the truth continue to rise, they grapple with their father's legacy and what to do with it. Make sure to subscribe to Blood Ties on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. You can also find a link in tonight's show notes. And now, a brief preview of the new podcast, Blood Ties. I just got service back. We're close to the island. Um, can you call me, please? Dear Eleanor. Oh, we're texting. You don't need to write Dear Eleanor when you're texting. How are you? Oh, Christ, Mom, come on. Dear Mother, please pick up the phone. Eleanor? 
Hi, Mom. What's wrong? What? Nothing. Why? Is everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine, honey. We're landing in, uh, what, 20 minutes, Peter? Peter. Yeah, yeah, your dad says 20 minutes. You sound like something's wrong. We'll talk when we land. Fantastic. You know, most families go to the living room to have a heart-to-heart. We go to the Caribbean. You got my email, didn't you? Your email? All the info is in the email I sent you, Elle. Mom, I don't think I got an email from you. One hour to port, one hour to port. Port? Eleanor, are you on a boat? Of course I'm on a boat, Mom. I thought you got over this. I'll fly when I absolutely have to, all right? Are you sure you sent that email? Because I'm checking and I don't have anything from you. Mom? Hello? Mom? That was the last conversation I ever had with my mom. My mom's name was Marie Richland. If you recognize it, it's probably because of my dad, Dr. Peter Richland, the cardiologist and healthcare magnate. If you've read one of his books or bought one of his products or even just heard of him, you know that they called him the father to millions. Well, he's gone now. So is my mom. And that news is going to upset a lot of people at his company's headquarters, on Wall Street, even in Washington, D.C. Not to mention my brother, of course. And me. I'm going to hear things about my father that no one would dare breathe a word about to me when he was alive. But I don't know any of that yet. All I know is that I just dropped a call from my technology-challenged mother and that the family will all be together soon for the holidays. From Wondery, this is Blood Ties. Sleigh bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. This is episode one, Postmortem. Here it is, the Palm Suite. Same as always. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Michael? Michael, is that you? tell you guys all together. That's a heartbeat? That's a baby? 
That is the sound of a 12-week-old fetal heartbeat. I'm gonna be a dad! So, who's the mom? What? Sophie. Sophie, my girlfriend in Boulder. Oh. Wait, why are you doing that? Doing what? With your face when you say something's great, but you look like you're hiding a turd in your mouth. Michael, I'm happy. I really am. I've never even met Sophie. That's not my fault. We've been together for almost a year. The last time I saw you two had just broken up. True. It's been a little up and down, but... Oh, there they are. Finally. Wait, wait. Don't say anything. Okay? I want to tell them myself. Of course. Um, uh, hi. These are a few of the members of the Island Children's Choir, here to wish Dr. Richland a Merry Christmas and welcome him on his return to our islands. Oh, wow. Well, thank you very much. I am honored. We'd also like to present you with a bottle of champagne, Paul Roger, your favorite, I believe. Oh, that is so very kind of you. I thank you. Indeed, it's my favorite. I thought somehow you'd be older. <laughs> I'm flattered. Can you just stop? This is Michael Richland, my brother. You're looking for Dr. Peter Richland, our father. He hasn't arrived yet. Well, what time do you expect a doctor? Well, you're supposed to be here by now. Sorry to disturb you. We'll wait in a lobby. Uh, I'm an actual doctor, by the way. He's a plastic surgeon. It's all very technical work. to voicemail again. Where are they? Why are we even here? Personally, I'm here for the mini bar. Do, do I do the $18 Coors Light or the $32 Bacardi and the $12 Coke? Mm, Bacardi and Coke. Better make it double. Okay, so mom said she sent me this email, but I didn't mm -hmm. get anything. I feel like, mm -hmm. I feel like they have something to tell us. Or... Michael! That bottle's for dad! <sighs> It's almost 7 p.m. Champagne's been sitting out for two hours. Besides, the choir lady said it was for Dr. Richland, and I am Dr. Richland. Oh, God, that is lovely. Michael, listen. If they haven't landed yet... If they haven't landed yet, then we're going to have to spend the holidays listening to our father go on about landing the Cessna in a storm. Except he's going to call it a hurricane. I talked to Mom when they were in the air. They were 20 minutes out, and that was three hours ago. Wait. Yeah, they're coming in on my phone, too. Kids, something's happening. Something, she says something's I happening. I love you both. Your dad is... These must be from earlier. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God she's calling. Hello? Mom? Mom? Are you okay? Hello? Hey, close that window! Damn it! I cannot hear this guy! What guy? What's going on? Ugh. Fuck. What's... What's going on? Thank you. 
What is it? <sighs> the plane crashed. Oh my god. Are they there um I think they're he said they're dead. Well, what do you mean? Well, um well they they found mom. And they're um they're still looking for dad's body. Oh my god. up on this season of Blood Ties. Peter Richland's plane went missing yesterday with Dr. Richland and his wife, Marie, aboard. Eleanor Richland? Yes? This is Connie Beckwith calling. I'm a reporter for the Times. Listen, I can talk to you for the obituary or whatever another time. Um, sorry, this isn't for an obituary. I have information, damaging information about your father. Let's just assume we know everything about everything, okay? The last thing my mom ever sent me was a text message. It said, something's wrong. Your dad is... My dad is... What exactly, Mom? What is he? We need to find out what the hell is happening. That was just a preview of Blood Ties. To listen to the rest of this episode and the series, listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. So if Blood Ties sounds like your cup of tea, please consider checking the series out. Coming from Wondery, you know it's going to be quality. All right. Well, I feel like you guys have earned a good holiday story. Well, let's kick it off with a story that somehow reminds me of one of my favorite holiday films, Home Alone. Let's see if you make the same connection. The following is Angela's story from sunny Florida. All right. Hi, my name is Angelica. I'm from Fort Myers, Florida. This story, it's kind of stupid, but it did freak me out. It happened recently. So a couple days ago before this happened, my aunt got pizza, some Domino's and stuff. And so, like, a couple of days after that, I finally got the guts to get some. Uh, so I was heating the pizza up, and then I got it out. And then I just left it on the table for a split second because I needed, I wanted to get something to drink. And then when I turned around, no, I swear, the pizza was full. It was like a full triangle. It, there, there was nothing. There was no bite before. But when I turned around, it, it was bitten. And I was the only person in the house at the time. My cousin was out work my aunt was outside my mom was also at work so i didn't really know why all of a sudden it was bitten so it's sure it's sure but it did freak me out i do also have several other weird experiences in this household i still live in it yeah that's basically it i don't know where the bike came from it freaked me out and sorry for um the short story but that's that thank you bye your show's great, by the way. I'm busy listening. Thank you, Angela. Okay. Cheese pizza. Three-day-old pizza. Maybe Home Alone was a bit of a stretch. But I still got a kick out of this story. Now, my only logical thought goes to Angela taking a bite 
and completely forgetting she'd done so. But then again, having three-day-old cold pizza in your mouth is most likely something you're not going to easily forget. Thank you again, Angelica, for taking the time to share that experience. Now, our next entry of the evening sort of stays in the same vein as Angelica's story, Sans Pizza. The following is Dylan's story from the state of Massachusetts. Hi, folks. My name is Dylan. I'm from Massachusetts, but I have a spooky story that takes place in Ticonderoga, New York. I used to be into paranormal stuff when I was younger and felt that I had had my fair share of experiences. But as I got older, I became much more skeptical and... While I still have an open mind, I tend to assume the strange things that I had memories of had some explanation that I was just missing the pieces for. These days, I hardly believe in ghosts or alien visitations or that sort of thing. However, I haven't closed the door completely after all. As they say, the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. But with all that said, there are still one or two memories I have, I have that no matter how hard I try to think of what I could explain it, the truth of what my eyes saw has always left me a bit chilled. The one thing that particularly stands out as unexplainable, of which I have a clear memory, was on a long weekend trip to upstate New York. I was around 12 or 13, it was the early 2000s, and I was in a trip to my friend Tim's grandmother's house, which was on Lake George. Tim was my age, and his brother Matt was a few years younger. Besides us, there was only his mother and his grandmother at the house. The ride up was close to six hours, and we usually brought a few toys or things to play with on the ride one of which was a Rubik's Cube. The three of us passed around during the ride, solving what we could without getting too far along. Tim was the closest. He was a bright kid, but even he couldn't solve more than two sides at once. We arrived at the house that evening. It wasn't a creepy house. It was a nice little lake house and a bay with houses about 100 feet on either side. But it was an old house, and although I had visited before, it was still a place that I wasn't quite comfortable or used to as much as Tim and Matt were. They had said things about the place being haunted before, but I usually ignored them, as they tend to exaggerate. The things they described were relatively innocuous events anyway. So after settling in for the night, we all went to bed. The three of us were up later than his mother and grandmother, who usually went to bed a little after sunset. The three of us were up for a while afterwards before getting set up for bed ourselves. We three slept in the same room. There were two beds side by side with a gap of a few feet between them. Matt slept on the one closest to the door, Tim slept on the one further in, and I slept on the floor next to Tim. Between the bed and the far wall, there was a gap just big enough for me to lay down my sleeping bag. Above my head was a nightstand, and on that nightstand was the Rubik's Cube puzzle we had played with on the ride up. Still unsolved and jumbled after a failed attempt. It was a comfy spot, but still, the place was unfamiliar to me, and I lay awake far after Tim and Matt had fallen asleep. But eventually, some time past midnight, it finally drifted off. I woke up early. The sunlight drifting in was enough to wake me from my light sleep, and nature called me to the bathroom while Tim and Matt snored away. It was still a few hours before anyone else in the house would wake up. As I came back into the room and began to get in bed, the Rubik's Cube on the nightstand caught my eye. It was completely solved. I examined it and confirmed that all sides were solid colors. I was in such disbelief that I even checked to see if perhaps the colored stickers on the cube had been removed and replaced, but they were all still flat and even. It was clear that they hadn't even been tampered with. Matt and Tim slept on. I was a bit scared, but mostly just shocked as I couldn't make sense of it. Now, in hindsight, I wish I had left it how it was, so I would have had more proof to show Tim and Matt, but at the time, I thought to myself that I had to stay another two nights at this place. If Tim and Matt woke up and saw the cube, they would surely say a ghost had done it. And I guess I wanted some way to deny that possibility, considering I still had to stay there a few more days. 
I didn't want to have to deal with the, the truth of how creepy this was, so I suddenly jumbled up the Rubik's Cube again, erasing any indication that it had been completed. I lay back down and tried to sleep, but I couldn't, and when everyone woke up, I didn't mention anything. It wasn't until the ride home, knowing I would spend the night safe in my own bed miles and miles from where it had happened, that I told them what had happened. Both of them denied using a cube that night, and like I said, none of us could even come close to solving on the ride up, even his grandmother and mother had admitted that they could never figure one out when they saw I'd seen us playing with it. Over the years, I've tried to think of any possible explanation, but whenever I do, I feel that paranormal explanations tend to be more believable than some other explanations. Could there have been a home intruder who did nothing but sneak into a room to solve a puzzle cube? I don't think so. Maybe one of us slept locked and solved it in our sleep? Who knows? Over the years, my mind has occasionally tried to make me doubt what I saw was what I saw. But I know that it's just because it can't be explained any other way. I know what I saw that morning. And it was honestly one of the strangest things that's ever happened to me. Thanks for listening. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Dylan. Again. I'm stumped. My initial thought was that the mother or grandmother snuck in and finished the puzzle as a gag, but Dylan claims that neither had the capability, nor did they admit to doing so. So this takes me back to Jessica's entry and her son's Elmo doll. Just like that doll, how would a spirit or entity even know how a Rubik's Cube would even work? Unless, of course, the person mastered the technique before he or she passed. So thank you again, Dylan, for taking the time to share that one. If you can, maybe ask the adults that were with you once again. Maybe enough time has passed that they will actually fess up if a prank was actually committed. And that takes us to the final entry of the evening. And this, parents, is the entry that I was talking about. If you have young children with strong holiday beliefs, I highly suggest you usher them to another room. The following is Michelle's story in the state of Arizona. Hi, Derek. My name is Michelle, and I'm um, from Arizona, but this story actually takes place in Bothell, Washington. It's kind of kind of by Seattle. But I had just started getting to season five of the podcast, and I hit a couple of um, stories that happened around Christmas time, and it reminded me of something that happened probably when I was about eight or nine years old. My brother and I used to sleep in his room on Christmas Eve, and he's uh, two years older than me. So he's 10 or 11 at the time. And it was Christmas Eve, and we had fallen asleep, and probably about midnight or one, we both woke up to a loud thump on the roof. And I had looked at him and I'm like, did you hear that? And he nodded. And we listened for a little while. And it was a good two or three minutes of someone walking around on the roof and we heard jingle bells. So we both kind of just stared at each other and, and laughed and tried to fall asleep. I, I guess we did because we woke up, you know, a couple hours later. But anyway, I just heard the Christmas stories and it reminded me of this fun Santa Claus story. And I always like to believe that Santa Claus is real just for the fun of it. But anyway, thank you. And I I love your podcast and thanks for giving me the time. Now, as it turns out, Michelle was actually unsatisfied with the call she left. So like a handful of callers have done in the past, she called back with more information. 
So here is her second call. Hi, Derek. This is Michelle again. I uh, recently called in about my story that I believe was Santa Claus. <laughs> it happened when I was about uh, nine or ten years old in Washington. And I just wanted to call back in with a little bit more detail. I was thinking about it and talking with my brother about it. And like I said, it took place in Washington. And if anybody has ever lived or just been in Washington for you know more than two days, it rains a lot. And I'm talking a good 200, 200 days out of the year, it's going to be raining. And I was thinking about, you know, if it could have been my parents on the roof or, you know, someone else on the roof or something. I just, I don't think it was someone, you know, that was in my house or someone getting on the roof other than, you know, Santa Claus. <laughs> just because the way that house is laid out, you walk in the front door and it's a split level. You either go upstairs the kitchen, the living room, and the kids' room, or you go downstairs to the basement and my parents' room. And on the back of the house, we had a wraparound deck, and my sister's room had a sliding door that led right out to the deck. And on that platform where her room is and that deck is, really the only way to get up to the roof everywhere else, you would have to get a ladder that goes up the full two stories, which we didn't have at the time. My guess is that it was raining because it was Washington, and it was nighttime. So, in order for like my dad or something to get up on the roof, he would have to get the ladder out, go onto the deck, and try and climb up right next to my sister's room. So, one, I don't think my dad would have done that just because he's a big safety nut. He wouldn't be out there at night. He wouldn't be out there when it's raining, anything like that. And the second thing is that we did, my brother and I asked my sister if we heard anything that night, and she said no. Granted, she's a really heavy sleeper, so if it was my dad or something, she might have slept through it. But it just it just doesn't seem like it would have been, because like I said, you would have to go up in the middle of the night when it's raining right next to my sister's room. And the ladder we had was loud. Like, you, you could hear the moment someone was on the roof or trying to get the ladder out throughout the whole house is a pretty old house so yeah I just wanted to kind of call back in and and explain it a little bit better but uh thank you so much for your time I love the podcast and congratulations on getting married thank you bye thank you Michelle this story makes me think of the talpa phenomenon we've discussed on the show before essentially it's the ancient belief that if enough people imagine picture or believe in something, the more real that something becomes. It's said that creatures and people alike can be created this way, so why not an entity like Santa Claus? After all, no less than 50 million children in the US alone are thinking of that same jolly elf in that same red suit with that same white beard on that very night. So did enough of these children believe to make magic happen that Christmas night in Arizona? Or were two kids simply caught up in the magic of Christmas? I don't know about you, but this holiday season, I prefer to believe the former. Thank you again, Michelle, for sharing your story. And that's going to do it for this episode of Monsters Among Us. I'd like to thank tonight's sponsor, Blood Ties, for their generous support of tonight's program. 
Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Warren Pon Abbott, Addie Lloyd, and Tony Bell. The music you heard in this episode was provided by Co.Ag. Thank you so much for listening. Happy holidays and a happy new year to everyone. Have a great night. <laughs>